Welcome back, everybody, to the Incomparables TV podcast feed, where we are returning to Altea, or what's left of Altea, the Altean Empire, the Galra Empire, and it's just gotten a whole lot more complicated. It's time for Seasons 5 and 6 of Voltron Legendary Defender. Welcome back. I am Chip. I am joined by Shannon. Prepitzah. Kyle from Nerdist.com. Kyle Anderson. Hello, hello. And the one and only Moises Chuyan. Hi, Moises. I want to be a paladin because I'm a paladin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you're a, you are one in real life. So? <laughs> there's but nothing, there's nothing better. better. Nothing, nothing better. <laughs> oh, man. So we took a break uh, from our season-by-season season run through the episodes uh, with our various uh, cast of characters uh, reviewing Voltron Legendary Defender. We gave it a bit of a break for Season 5. Uh, a lot of folks are busy, but it was also a, well, six episodes that were fine and ended, I guess, okay, but it didn't exactly end on a monumental cliffhanger or something like that, and uh, so we're taking care of seasons five and six together, which I think is actually the way that this and the previous seasons three and four were actually made, and spoiler alert, I thought that this season, uh, if you put them all together, was really, really great, but I wanted to ask you all first early on, you know, how you felt about the split seasons and whether it served the story this time around. I think the split season thing disrupts the story because that's not how the showrunners planned it from the start. Uh, with seasons three and four ending on the uh, origin story was okay, but I think it really did a disservice to seasons five and six because, you know, as you said, a lot of people, you know, were thinking that there wasn't much to talk about in season five. There's actually quite a lot to talk about. I mean, they got Sam back. Uh, Zarkon died. Lotor killed Zarkon. There was the whole plot arc of finding uh, Oriand and Allura's voyage of discovery. So there's actually a lot in there. But I agree that when you put season five and six together, oh my God. I mean, you know, this is like, you know, season two had me in rapture. Uh, so does seasons five and six together. Yeah, I sort of felt the same way in that. There's, you know, there's interesting things that are set up in, in the season five, six episodes. Mm -hmm. It's getting everything to the new kind of normal for a little while. And, you know, there's the great episode, the, the Kralzera, about that's when Lotor's plan start, starts to come together and, and the Gaul Empire is not a big fan of that. So I really enjoyed that episode. Well, that's two episodes before the end. And I sort of, even though it was a short season, I didn't finish it initially. I watched the White Lion, the sixth episode of the fifth season right before I started season six, because I was just like, oh, I need to catch up. I just never watched that last episode for whatever reason. And that felt, I mean, it felt like it was all part of the same thing. It never felt like I'm watching a finale and then watching a premiere. It felt like I was just watching episodes sequentially. So I do think that it, it, it plays much better without that break in the middle. And you're right, Shannon, like between three and four, when they had the, you know, the origin of Voltron episode, you had sort of like a different thing that felt like a, a kind of a, a bridge episode. Whereas between these two, you didn't really... Um, and it was more just like, you know, you're just learning more things. And it was just kind of like a stopping as opposed to, you know, having a big cliffhanger. But when you watch season six, everything about it seemed 
you know, completely relevant and uh, immediate. It was it was a really with the exception of the Monsters of Man episode, which is great, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Every episode seems like it was building on the next thing. And it all got really, really heavy, which I thought was really surprising, especially for a show that, you know, balances between comedic and dramatic really well I felt like they were really you know going toward the space opera element of the show you know while still keeping the characters who they were but there was there's depth to every everything in the season break- six. I thought it was wonderful Moises how do you is this animated Game of Thrones for kids at this point no I, I wouldn't go quite that far it's animated Winter Soldier uh, yeah maybe a bit of that uh, <laughs> a little a little bit of this a little bit of that I for me the splitting of the seasons this way I kind of liked that season five gave me a two hour special worth of content, as it were, in in terms of of plot threads paying off and everything. It didn't really bother me that it ended where it ended and, you know, was uh, was kind of giving me the opportunity to come back to it when the next season ramped up. If I wanted to hold on to season five and watch it in sequence to season six. I feel like as as delivery models keep changing, there's there's no way of saying this is the one size fits all model for everything. Uh, even even aside from that, I can't even say from talking to some of the people that that are involved in the show whether it was the intent of the showrunners uh, to knowingly make it so that there was a good enough break where season five ended, or whether that was just kind of. Hey, where do you want to split this pose to them? I don't, I don't know that it really made that much of a difference for me. I, I, I didn't feel like season five was disappointing in any respect or no. was, was, uh, w- was not its own self-contained kind of a thing, which I know that, you know, so, some of the complaints online have been that, you know, they don't want these short seasons. They just want 13 episodes at a time. And yes, I know we all want infinite episodes and ship wants Voltron vehicle force <laughs> and we can't all get what we want. <laughs> yes, uh, we can. But I feel like more than ever uh, on, on the vehicle force note, I feel more than ever that we may eventually get that uh, because of, of, of the totality of <laughs> of what we get out of these two seasons. And, you know, something else that we can maybe touch on as a threat of this, because uh, Kyle's a mover and shaker in the news world and and is is at Comic-Con and going amongst all the movers and shakers. And, you know, people people other than me on this podcast probably know more about what, if anything, they've said about how many more seasons we have, how many more episodes we have to go. I actually, I, I really loved that I was able to do all of season five in a sitting and all of season six in a sitting. And it didn't feel like too much to catch up on where if I were going, oh God, what happened in the last 13 episode season of this? I'm not going to watch 13 episodes of this again. Um, if I'd wanted to go back and put on season five while I, you know, reorganize my office or pack or something like that. Okay, cool. Great. That, you know, that, that wouldn't have been that big of an issue. I kind of like having it more digestible as, as kind of tending towards something that I'm, I'm enjoying more in episodic TV on the whole, where some people are saying, Oh God, I wish I could get 22 episodes a season of a Marvel Netflix show. (laughs) Actually, I don't know that anybody's saying that, but I, for one, I would, I would love for the Marvel Netflix shows to just do like six episodes and be done for a season. It's one of the reasons that I love Voltron and, you know, people like, uh, like Anthony Johnston, also of the incomparable network has found himself hooked on the show because from the very beginning, they were not playing with doing decompressed narrative and the way that they're chopping the seasons up isn't affecting that either. It's not making you feel like you, you didn't get much out of season five. It's not making you feel like, you know, you're being strung along. 
all told, I, I feel like the show is still cooking along on all cylinders. And now I'm wondering, well, wh- OK, well, what are they doing next? Now what? I will say one thing uh, that occurred to me while you all were talking that I think hurts having it split a bit is that because of the split, when they planned for the original 13 episode seasons, they were able to balance paying attention to all the different characters with 13 full episodes to do that in. And I think with the split seasons, we see some imbalance. You know, I'm thinking primarily of of Keith, um, you know, my precious son, my baby. (laughs) Season five. Yes. Yes, he's still my favorite. Season five, we got almost none of him. You know, he shows up in Kralzera and then he gets uh, the start of his story arc in Bloodlines. You know, and oh my God, what a cliffhanger that would have been if they'd stopped at episode five. And then he's all over the place in season six. Most of the characters get good time in season six, except maybe Pidge. But then she's got the first several episodes in season five when they find her dad. Mm -hmm. So that's the one place I see a real weakness in my understanding is this decision was made after they had sort of put together and packaged a lot of the stories. That That's my one thing, seeing the imbalance sometimes. I've seen chitter chat online about, you know, well, my character didn't get this attention and my character didn't get that attention. But again, if you're looking at it as season three, four together, season five, six together, it's much more balanced. I have to agree with that. And the, the one counterpoint that I would add to it is, you know, Hager has had the most slow moving, methodical even like D Mm -hmm. storyline, the entire series, she was completely unaffected, but I I agree. Like it it really does affect the amount of attention that people who stand one of the paladins over others, how much their favorite boy or girl gets in the limelight. Mm. So season five, since it was further, further away, um, I'm inclined to breeze through it a little faster than the more recent season six. But that is the cementing of the partnership between Lotor and the Paladins and the complete upending of the uh, status quo of the series, especially with one heck of a dramatic duel between Zarkon and Lotor in the second episode of that season. Oh, yes. Um <laughs> <laughs> and being old enough to have been weaned practically on the classic series, which was invariably 22 minutes of team gets together, team fights Robeast, team forms Voltron, team beats Robeast, lather, rinse, repeat. This is really where the chairs are kicked out from under you and the show reinvents itself. <laughs> I wanted to get your, your read on that, Kyle. It's it's not exactly commercial for the show to just to kill off the main villain and rotate villains uh, fairly constantly. You know, I feel like the viewing audience has, has grown to expect things like that now, given, you know, with shows like uh, Game of Thrones is a really good example where we expect sort of shakeups to happen more often. And I think something like that with, you know, if you take seasons three and four as a whole, it's setting up Lotor as the sort of the wild card, not sure exactly what he's about. And, and then all of a sudden uh, he he has a fight with uh, Zarkon in the second episode of this batch and then kills him. And then you're like, oh, wow, you know, now what's happening? And he makes this this pact with Voltron and everything like that. It, it feels very uneasy, even though it seems to be working. It seems to work out for a while there. Um, but then that, of course, leads to the amazing like meltdown that Lotor ends up having at the end of season six. So I, I liked that a lot, actually, that. And also, I have to say, I mean, as, as much as I enjoy a nice glowering kind of, you know, deep voiced bad guy like 
Zarkon is sort of one note after yeah. a while. You you yeah. have your your big battle at mm-hmm. the end of season one, yeah. and then yet another big battle at the end of season two. What else is there really for him to do? And so I feel like Lotor was a really a big you know a breath of fresh air, and for the show to continue, it mm-hmm. needed to embrace him as a full like the the full main bad guys, not the yeah. the one subservient to to Zarkon in any way. And having Zarkon alive even at all always had that layer there where he's not quite the bad guy or he's not quite the ruler of the Gara. And and it's easy to get like, I understand why Allura gets taken in by him because he's, he's very charming and he's very not like Zarkon until she realizes that he's exactly like him. So right. I, I thought that was really, really well done and doing it early on in the season, I think is great because at this point, Battles with Zarkon have ended so many seasons that I'm, you just get tired of it. One little aside, if anything, my favorite thing about Zarkon hasn't been Zarkon himself for quite a while. It's just been Neil Kaplan, the actor, yeah. interacting mm-hmm. with fans online. Yeah, absolutely. I've been like, I'm, I'm like, can we just kill this dude off? I mean, it's not going to make Neil Kaplan go anywhere. He's going to keep tweeting at people and being sweet to people and sharing memes and stuff. We, we could get rid of him. I was really thrilled that they threw that curveball that fast where I, I knew it was coming, but I, it was still surprising for it to come that fast out of the and game. And that Absolutely. definitively. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's still not any blood to speak of or anything like that in, in this series, but the, the last couple of seasons have been more violent in a very deliberate way between uh, Zarkon getting taken out and the the casual murder of one of the contestants in the Kral Zera. There, mm-hmm. there, there's a much more obvious body count by now. Yeah, and that, and that I think it just sort of the show... Uh, realizing that it it doesn't need to be stuff happens Voltron comes together they fight the thing they win or possibly lose or whatever like there's stakes involved and you know the Galar Empire seems so you know united for so much of the early part of the show that all of a sudden to see them all fight each other we are loyal to Lotor we are loyal to Zarkon and then all of the same looking ships fighting each other and you know it's really an interesting thing that kind of added to the Galra Empire and made them made them more interesting too. I, I think that everything they've done with bringing Lotor in forward has been to strengthen the interestingness of the bad guys, which in a show like this, you know, where it could just, just so easily just be faceless or nameless or whatever. From the beginning, they've been trying to give all the Galra different personalities and then giving them backstories and different loyalties and i think really helped with that because the good guys are always going to be the good guys with the exception of shiro who we'll talk about but but then it's all the other people who are involved in the show and and in the fight that i think they've really you know strengthened in a really great way yeah at the end of the day this is still a show about a robot with lions for arms and legs um, uh-huh. <laughs> and it's still it's still rated for kids and it is still a kids show that's producing toys. And yet they're still taking such great care to make it interesting for everybody else who's watching. Yeah, yeah I absolutely love how, you know, as we've talked in previous episodes, that this is the Voltron you remember. You want it to be this nuanced. You want it to have this depth of character. And we get these kinds of developments for so many of them, you know, Lotor becoming not just a nuanced villain, but so many of the fans were rooting for him. They were just like, yes, he's going to be a good guy this time around. And he oh, and Allura no. are going to get together and it's going to be great. And <laughs> oh, no. does he even some things you cannot cannot but, but, get away but from. Does he ever I'm not aware of a single moment in season five or season six when he actually lies 
He just, or if he lies, he, there are lies of omission. You know, I think he's actually playing straight with them all the way along. That he mm-hmm. th- that he wants power, oh, yeah. and mm-hmm. and that's what's really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's why he wants the power. You know, it's the idea is that if we can get unlimited quintessence to the entire Galra Empire, guess what? No more fighting. The way they have written Lotor is honestly one of my absolute favorite parts of the show because of that complexity that Shannon's pointing to, where he and I think it, Chip, as you were saying, there, there are more lies of omission. There, there's sort of lies of omission, but he's not even going that far. He's just. Stating fact and it's oh god like the duality of him it's difficult to even explain it's difficult to even condense he's he's tragic he's tragic yeah because these two sides to him the Galra and the Altaian are fighting against one another and he thinks he's working for the Altaian side ultimately behind all of his machinations with the Galra Empire but then there's the showdown at Oriand he and Alora face the Guardian what does he do he goes back to victory or death and he loses. So his own choices, once he's made in the past that come to light, the ones that he's making now are eventually going to drive him to the point where the quintessence field gets him. I truly think that up until close to a time, the more he interacts with Alora, the more the possibility is of him personally turning himself around. He can't yeah. atone for the mistakes he's made. He can't atone for all the Altaians he's killed. But the fact that it plays up to the brink of which way will he go is something so wonderful that enriches this story so much. Um, and I think kids get some of this, you know, just as much as the adult fans. I, I think kids enjoy a character that you have to I think do about. like that. We've made mention of the fact that the team putting this show together is the same team that did The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. Mm-hmm. What I would um, add on to that just statement of fact that we've made in the past is that exactly what you're pointing to, that complexity of narrative that's still communicable to young audiences, very young audiences in some cases, is exactly why this was the perfect, I would say the only team to tackle this material and elevate it past, you know, robot with with lines for arms and lines for legs, as Chip said, and, and Chip, I, I would say, don't let people forget, and one that forms yeah. the head. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I, you forgot yeah. Shiro. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, the, the magic <laughs> arm that forms the head. Um <laughs> and, and in the end, Lotor turns out to be a bad boyfriend, a really bad boyfriend. Alora can't tolerate what he's done, which has been basically committing a long, slow genocide of their people. I mean, he doesn't even get to the stage of boyfriend. He's verging on second date. True enough. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah it, that, just the it, one it, kiss. <laughs> yeah, it's just the one kiss. It, you know, I'd have just enough trust and I'm going to betray that trust utterly and recklessly because, you know, whatever I need to. Yeah, yeah. he's he's <laughs> sort of, the, you know, if Zarkon is the one who wants control, I believe Lotor when he says he wants peace. But then you see the, what he's willing to do to get that peace and you can see him moving the chess pieces in order to get it. And, and I, I mm-hmm. sort of agree with you. Uh, Shannon, I think that he was on the way to being, or at least having that inner battle, whether he's going to be good or continue on his path. And then when pushed, you see that he just immediately reverts to mm-hmm. to the angry, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. the defensive and the, I'm going to crush you, you know, as you said, victory or death. Like He needs to be the one in control, and when he's not, you see how much he breaks down. And he is far more frightening in those last two episodes Absolutely. than I felt Zarkon ever was, because cause he's, yeah. he's a loose cannon. Oh, I mean, yeah. he, he will shoot his own people, you know, he steals their ships and mm-hmm. <laughs> creates yeah. this mech of his own that we didn't realize that he was doing this whole time. And then just he's a one man wrecking crew there at the end. And 
He's really he's crazed not, even before he gets into the quintessence and everybody else is going on it. You know, yeah. that's pure him before he even gets amped up. By and that I think is really field. interesting because we see that Hagar, once the, the quintessence is removed, we see that she is still duplicitous and she doesn't mm-hmm. become good suddenly. Yeah. She's still the same person. She's just. There's a there's a point. Right. There's a point of no yeah. return. So you see, well, that's that's yeah. his mom. So he has that in his blood anyway. And so I thought that was a really interesting thing where like he goes mad with quintessence just around the time that she finally is free of it. And it's still like she's still a scary character, which I thought was really great. The other mm. big development through season five and season six is the f- Dungeons and Dragons. OK, OK, let's talk about Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons before we go. <laughs> no, wait, we, we can talk about it in a minute. That's my number two. And then third time's the charm. I get to call it back one more time uh, <laughs> as a cheap laugh. No, what, what, what were you saying, Chip? That was obviously oh, no, no. Much more we're going. We're going straight to monsters and mana because it is a standalone episode, and Man. people are dying to talk about it. And I will can say, I, can I, can I, pl- <laughs> can I please like go to the paint for this episode? Because I, I love it deeply, go. unapologetically, unreservedly. Go for it. A in this kind of serialized adventure romp thing, I, I do want some sort of a breather that lets us get away from plot, 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 and lets us do a little bit of development. Even when we're this far along in the story and know these characters so well in so many ways, I like that we get to do something like this that is technically a diversion or I guess in the as a guy who's never been on a cruise, I'm told that there's sailing days where you don't really do anything and you just kind of lay around. I like that there, there are these <laughs> occasional sailing day episodes where you get to spend a little bit of time with characters that aren't in the middle of connecting plot dots and blowing things up and uh, pouring accelerant on things to move the plot forward. I I like that we get a breather from the overarching narrative and when is stuff going to happen? Stuff keeps happening and happening and happening and happening in this show. And it, it was timing wise for me, it was a good breather. It was a good precursor to uh, to some things that were getting ready to happen. Things with Shiro, for example, I, I felt like it was the best way to to very careful viewers like ourselves. I think it telegraphed some stuff that maybe made us expect a few things, but that it was putting some more dots on the board to connect. If if that metaphor flies, where we've been expecting something to be getting ready to break with Shiro for a while now. And this gave us a bit more of, yeah, that dam is about to burst. I like that we got to just have fun with our with our kids for an episode and then got back to this game of Lion Thrones, uh, as it were, and <laughs> and all of that stuff. It was for me going back to shows like Star Trek The Next Generation. There would be occasional fun episodes like holodeck episodes that I'd be kind of rolling my eyes a little bit and going, can we please just shoot phasers at Romulan's? Please, can we just do something like that? <laughs> do we have to make Worf one of Robin Hood's merry men? Mm-hmm. Come on. And then I, I came back <laughs> around to enjoying those episodes upon revisiting the show as just an opportunity to to take a break. Uh, proportionally, Voltron has done far fewer of those kinds of things as the show and as the plot has really exploded forward. But I like that we have that kind of equivalent to a Q episode in a season of Star Trek The Next Generation where we get to play with the characters and the weight of the entire universe is not on their shoulders and we can we can get a bit more actual character time with them. 
I will say I have no objection whatsoever to fun episodes in theory. <laughs> let, um, let it be noted for the record, Shannon has no objections to fun. <laughs> Thank God. But the Monsters in Mana worked much better for me than the Voltron show. I oh, yeah. Oh, look, I'm with you. I, I'm I, with you. I will still, I will never, ever watch the Voltron show again if I, I can will, help it. Monsters in uh, Mana had fun stuff. It had in-jokes that I got. I have played D&D. It resonated with me. So this one worked much better yeah. for me. As, as it's a, it's a good. It was a good way. I mean, I love this episode too. But I, I and I feel like it was a good way to let the the paladins relax a little bit and kind of show different sides to their character, with the exception of Shiro, who is the same, yes. even in <laughs> fantasy realms. Um, Space dad I, in the D and D world. Yeah, even there, he gets killed and then he comes back as yet another paladin. I just think was great. But another um, clone. Yeah. Well, and that was. They yeah, were telegraphing. I will say Definitely I did. I, I did laugh harder than I think I have at any other point in Voltron Legendary Defender when he discovers the blazing sword, and then I laughed even harder than that when he was immediately killed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that this episode works so much better because it also is about it. Ultimately, it's about looking at things a different way. You know, you you get focused in on problems that you have, and if you don't take a minute to relax you won't ever get to the bottom of it. And we see with Hunk and Pidge, they have this problem that they can't figure out, but then mm-hmm. playing the game helps them do that. But yeah, the Voltron show, I think the problem with the Voltron show is that everybody is behaving completely out of character and only Karan is the one with the thing True. in his ear. Everybody's True. just like, yeah, I guess we'll be mall people for a while. Like, it's just such a silly episode. And the idea that, oh, we're banding these um, rebel planets together through the shared like legend of Voltron, I think is a good idea, but it's also like, Come on. (laughs) Why are you wasting your time? You guys are the defenders of the universe. Why are you doing this? Showrunners, you're pushing the joke Mm. just a wee bit too far. Yeah. And I feel like they probably realized that and so and so pulled it back a little bit. Yeah. And I will actually say that I did enjoy Monsters and Mana. The first time I tried to watch it, Shannon and I were in the middle of a staycation and and something had come up at work and I had to try to do some emergency work at the same time that we were trying to binge. And that was the episode that I chose to tune out of and uh, get some stuff done. Uh, Upon actually watching and paying attention to it, it is actually pretty damn funny. I actually made my son sit down and watch it. We we tried to get him into Voltron in season one, and he lost interest fairly fast. I lured him in by pointing out he would get all the jokes this time because Mm -hmm. he plays video games and he plays this stuff. And he, for the most part, enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, the Voltron show, I cannot really defend other than to say that other shows have utterly terrible episodes that are far, far worse True than us. Um, Definitely. For this to be the low point of the show. What a blessing. What yeah. a blessing. It's true. And it's what funny a blessing if you, if you compared up, to so many things. You know, 90s kids or, or people who grew up in the Power Rangers generation, knowing that you could go to the mall and watch a Power Rangers show like that. It just kind of or like ice capades or whatever, where you, you get to yeah, watch yeah. people ice skate and pretend to be Disney characters and stuff. Everybody. This has been nerd, nerdist Skyle Anderson with the straight dope for you 90s yeah. kids. Well, man. 
<laughs> I wish I wish I could stop talking directly to 90s kids for a little while, but that just seems to be my lot in life. Hey, so hey, hey, 90s kids, hey, 90s kids. That's where the money is this week and uh, next week and on into eternity. Yeah, it sure seems sadly. Well, me. after our a- after <laughs> our detour into uh, Legend of Zelda slash Guild Wars slash Dungeons and Dragons, let's go back to the other uh, really big overarching plot line for season five and season six, and it's what's up with Shiro. I think the last time that I was on uh, the Voltron Recap podcast, I I grumped a little bit that by taking Keith out of the Lions and putting Shiro back in, that combination of five characters was much less dynamic and interesting to me. But here in season five, Shiro's becoming more and more of a problem, more and more of a ticking time bomb as the fans who've been paying attention to what Kiron means. There's something happening, and then finally we get uh, Keith back in the Black Lion, having matured a little bit with an extra two years in there, but he's still got a lot of fire to go with that scar that he winds up with. Let's talk about Shiro and the the fact that the guy who was being a doofy paladin uh, playing Dungeons & Dragons wasn't actually alive. Yeah, that was really, um, I thought really well handled and pretty shocking, actually. But this season, uh, season six really got dark in a way that I wasn't expecting. And the Shiro, mm-hmm. you know, him getting activated, his sleeper cell getting activated. And then that whole sequence in the hangar bay, in whichever episode that was, I don't remember. Um, the colony. Where, the colony, yeah, absolutely. Where he is <laughs> you know they're like we have why is shiro doing this we don't understand but he's he's basically wrecking everything and and then you know taking lotor back to hagar and everything like that i thought that was that was great and you know obviously that leads to the next episode the black paladins where you get to see keith you know reach deep down inside himself and have to commune with the black line again and not only that but all of the different you know the paladins of the black line and and you find out what happened to shiro many seasons ago mm-hmm. at the end of season two and you realize that he's been a clone this whole time and it was a great turn and it was something that yes they had telegraphed for a while where you knew that something wasn't right with him but you weren't necessarily sure it was going to be like this and then it was and i i am glad that they sort of redeemed or at least returned real shiro mm-hmm. even if you know as we leave the season, he is in a coma. Everything's sort of screw, you know, <laughs> everything is pretty wrecked after that fight with Lotar. But at least he's not like lost and gone forever, as far as yeah. we know. And that's one of the things I really appreciate what the showrunners did this time around, because Shiro dying's been done. It, it's been done, yeah. you know, taking him off the table, never to return and getting replaced with his twin brother in the case of Defenders of the Universe. That's all been done. This was new and this was different while still exploring what's been done with it before. And I just I have to stop and give props to Josh Keaton for his vocal performances. He confirmed in um, an after buzz that he was deliberately doing different things with his voice so that Shiro was one voice and Karan, the clone, was a different voice. And back in season three, when uh, he came back and then early season four, fans were just yelling at each other. Some of them insisting his voice is different, his voice is different, and others insisting you're hearing things. No, he was deliberately trying to create these two separate characters, slightly different from one another, and then to go on and once Hagger's programming kicks in and all we have is this construct of the Galra fighting Keith and, you know, Keaton does it again with changing his voice yet again. I'm just I love the man. He does such a good job. Yeah, it just points to how much care both he and the and the creators of the show have for 
that you know like because they could just say no just do the same voice it's fine he's a clone but like they know enough to know that yeah even if you change it slightly he should be slightly Mm -hmm. different he's not that character and i think it's great because then fans like that who have picked up on that that little change can argue about it and see uh, if they were right and so i'm sure they were there was some cheering i guess if you can cheer at something bad happening like that but people who saw it coming that way i'm suddenly reminded um, of the doctor's jacket in right. uh season five uh <laughs> that's right those kinds of arguments are the same thing the the showrunners have a plan mm-hmm yeah. yeah. Go figure. And this is another opportunity to brag on legendary voice True. director Andre uh-huh. Romano, who you want to have on a show like this where you're, you know, not to say that Keaton is not an immensely talented actor all on their own, but great actors need great directors to help them cut through having to put most of their effort into figuring stuff out. But instead, you know, not, not having any insight as to what it was like in the booth on this. But when you have somebody who is so laser precise and and comes up from the tradition of Gordon Hunt, the legendary voice director who Andrea learned everything she learned from, who, who can hone in on those sorts of things and help people without needing to do playback or vocal reference, find the place and go, find the place and go, find the place and go. With a director like her, there is no way that they took mm-hmm. long days on this. You have somebody like that, you are really going yeah. to get your money's worth. And. And it's not just Josh Keaton. I mean, uh, Stephen Stephen Young as Keith in those episodes playing off of Shiro. The Black Paladins is my favorite episode of this season, uh, hands down, to the way that those two were able to play off each other and bring those lines just you could, so you could feel the emotion in your gut when they were talking. The, on top of the beautiful animation, which at, at some point, you know, we'll come back to and talk about how gorgeously some of this stuff was drawn this season. Just it was amazing. The animation style changes completely mm-hmm. uh, during the Keith and Shiro fight and everything around it. It's mm-hmm. th- it's even going beyond the moments scattered throughout the series uh, where they switch to essentially pencil roughs. But yeah. Keith and Shiro look so much more angular, so much uh, rawer. That first shot when uh, Keith, when Shiro is finally taken over by Hagar, it almost looks like a homage or, or straight ripoff of Akira and Tetsuo uh, screaming before uh, one of his transformations or something like that. There's a lot of mm. stuff going on vocally and animation-wise to to really sell this stuff. Yeah. They've, they've taken a lot of care to double down on the fact that, yeah, they're an American production that's using anime-styled influences, but they don't overuse mm-hmm. stuff like that. We, we haven't seen that style used repeatedly. They save it mm-hmm. for special occasions. They save it for the big deal moments. Um, and that, that, that kind of judiciousness is one of the reasons that if you want to call it five seasons, if you want to call it six seasons, as far in as we are at this point, I don't ever feel like, oh, great, this again. Oh, great, this again. No. And every time they do it, as you said, it, it means something and it is different from it's not they didn't just do the same thing, the same pencil sketches that mm-hmm. they did. They did a different version of that same thing. Something that I've always loved about the, the show is that they use the medium of animation for different purposes, depending on the, the director or any episode credited to Steve on. There's a lot of uh, direct anime references, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, the comedic kind of like background stuff going on. And that's in putting that stuff in there is always a, a fun thing if you're kind of an animation nut, like um, I think a lot of us are who watch the show. But it's it's them always like kind of stepping up the game. They're not they're not just doing the same 
style for every moment like that would be you know that would get really old and i think mm-hmm. that the fact that the big robot battles or the big you know space battles are kind of uh geometric cgi whereas something as as kind of visceral as the the keith and shiro fist fight it needs to be kind of more passionate and so you can get that in a little bit more pencil a little angular um it's not just this kind of you know cut and paste kind of character stuff and that's that's something that the show i think does incredibly well is that it knows when to use a little bit more give it a little extra in the animation department or in the in the storyboarding department to give it a little bit of a of a boost because it's always effective i think every time they've done it i've been like yeah that's that was such a great thing and and always surprising and kind of like um uh, exhilarating too yeah i always wish that this show had a little bit more budget for its 2d animation the the frame rate's a little low for my taste uh and they rely a lot on you know classic inexpensive japanese animation style uh moving stills instead of uh, full animation but the fight choreography in these two seasons in particular uh 2d or 3d is just breathtaking um you, the last episode of this season is largely a giant robots fight scene and mm-hmm. yet it's great it's like we've been it's the show is so careful in actually not having a row beast battle every time. There are actually very few of them, and some of the most effective action sequences involve the five lions, not the not the single giant robot. But in the end, episode fifty, Defender of All Universes, what a payoff with this big slugfest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it and it absolutely did. It was such a, you know, it's sort of a rhyming thing from what happened with the big, you know, robust mech battle with Zarkon um, that caused Shiro to get, you know, uh, his consciousness to leave in the first place. Um, and, and and I feel like somehow they upped their game mm-hmm. again because it's again, it's another episode. That's the entire last episode is just a big fight. Um and it didn't get old, not not once. And obviously, the the character dynamics between Lotor and the team is much different than it was between Zarkon mm-hmm. and the team. But it just felt so much more uh, fraught and kind of everyone everyone's. Uh, it wasn't just we're battling to save the world. It's like this is somebody who is our friend who has completely gone off the mm-hmm. deep end. And God, you you said it, brother. <laughs> I did like. <laughs> I love Sailor Moon. Don't get me wrong. This is not me ragging on Sailor Moon. Huge, huge but. Sailor Moon fan. <laughs> but at a certain point, I don't need to see those transformation sequences mm-hmm. for the thousandth right. time. <laughs> and I don't I don't need I don't need the exact same filler animation plugged in just to fill time. Just give me something and you can tell a story with a fight. I mean, it, the best choreographed fights are like the best choreographed dances. There is something mm-hmm. that is being told through what you're seeing. It's not just action right. figures slapping together. It's action figures slapping together for a reason. And I, I, that, the, that last episode, yeah, I, you, you totally said it. Like for me, that is the greatest testament to what they've been building to and what they've been doing and what makes me very optimistic for what is to come. Because of all things, they gave us a big anime mecha fight at the length of an episode, basically, <laughs> and managed to hold my attention wrapped the entire time. Yeah. And that is that is not, on its face. That is not something that I thought was actually yeah. possible. Well, like you said, you know, we've got a different group this time. The characters have 
advanced. Some of them are new are in New Lions. Um, we've seen how these characters have changed from battling Zarkon, the obvious big bad, to, as you all said, battling their friend. I mean, you know, there are someone that they were beginning to see as a friend, you know, and even Keith, who has been antagonistic to Lotor the entire time. He and Alora are the ones who are saying we need to get Lotor before we leave this quintessence field when everyone else is ready to just book it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it adds a different dimension to um, the giant mecha fight. You know, just like you said, yeah, choreo- choreographed like a dance. Um, you know, this this episode, the Black Paladins episode, the way that they tell a story through the action is brilliant. Before we get to how the series ended, I'm sure that there's still loads of stuff that uh, y'all want to bring forward from um, seasons five and six. So, uh, and I know that Shannon is brimming with stuff that she wants to react to. Uh-huh. <laughs> For those who don't know, I do a podcast about Doctor Who writers. I'm I'm a, I'm big into writing and the the mm-hmm. the. Uh, process thereof and i just want to shout out that the black paladins episode is credited to joaquin dos santos as the writer who is he's the executive producer so obviously he's involved in every single episode but he's never taken a a a written by credit and i thought that that was a really cool um you know when that popped up i was like oh man this is going to be a hell of a this is going to be a good one yes yeah this was something he wanted to do um yeah with his own hands yeah yeah and so i thought that episode worked on so many levels because i mean because he also uh, you know, must have been involved. I'm sure he storyboarded a bunch of stuff, which I know he does because that's how he got his his start was in storyboarding. So like, um, it's it's just really cool to see the authorship of the whole show. You know, you can see you can like I was saying earlier, you can tell who, it, who the the fingerprints of the different people who work on it. And I thought that that was it was just a, a cool encapsulation of of Joaquin as a dude and as a his approach to the show to be like I'm gonna this is my episode. I'm gonna write it. You know, mm-hmm. six seasons in. Yeah, I thought and, that was really and, cool. And and a lot of times, you know, with TV production being a bit different guild wise and union wise than than what there is in the UK, generally the reason the EPs don't take individual screenwriting credit, except for egotists like Chris Carter, um, it's <laughs> right. because if that's credited to one of their staff writers, that staff writer can pay their rent for a year um, and they don't need the credit so much. But in a case like that, what that said to me was this was one where it was like, I need to have my hands around this one completely the whole way through. And, you know, we'll we'll do it as a room and you guys will, you know, of course, like chime in with stuff. But but this is this is the one that I have been writing since we since we did the pitch. That's that's what it said to me was that this one this one was very elemental Mm -hmm. in why they were doing the show in the first place was because they were going to get to this kind of payoff. And I could see him as a storyboard artist having this running in his head from the word go. Yeah. And it's totally something that, I mean, cause it's that episode. Uh, that's one. Of, I mean, the show is constantly changing what, you know, happened in the original Voltron show and also what happened in beast King go line. And that is something we have never seen. That's, you know, Keith and Shiro or Sven or whoever that those two characters locked in deadly combat like that with Keith trying his hardest, you know, he's like to, to bring his friend, his mentor, his big brother essentially back from the brink. Um, and there's so much passion behind all of that. And I was just like, yeah, that's, that's, that's the show putting or the people who make the show putting their stamp on the Voltron as if they hadn't mm-hmm. already. I mean, it's already yeah. like uh, such uh, a great show. That's, like you said, that's, that's why, that's why I loved that they made the, the Sven thing like a throwaway joke yeah. in one episode early on. It was almost, it was almost making the statement of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 
We're not doing that right. show. <laughs> we have we have left that show mm-hmm. in the dust, and we're going to do something very yeah. different. Just just buckle in, and see yeah. what we're going to do. But like do. you guys said, um, this the Black Paladins was obviously a pivotal episode for them to get right um, throughout the entire series. Um, Keith and Shiro were the two characters that not only knew each other before action started, but obviously knew and cared about each other a great deal. I mean, you know, it's good to have you back. It's good to be back. That crests up into season two, where Shiro follows Keith on his journey to discover that, oh my God, I'm half Galra. So, you know, that was sort of like the the, the first third of the show, to so to speak. And then in this second third, we have the situation where Shiro is not Shiro anymore, and nobody realizes it until it's too late. And Keith is the one who has to go back and try to get him back. Not only do we have the, the fights, but we have those flashbacks. We finally get to see a peek into what their history was um, at the garrison, that Shiro found this kid, saw something in him, brought him to the garrison, became his mentor, and then his friend, and is now the most important person in Keith's life, which is why he will go to hell and back to try and, and rescue him. And Shiro will fight beyond the grave through the Black Lion to help Keith. So it's um, just, you know, t- to show these two characters so tight, I think, was super important to them at this point in the show. I wonder if Hunk and Pidge ever get like, hey, we've never had to fight anybody else for our lion. We've never had to <laughs> switch up our lions. Like, these are just ours. Like, yeah, like- <laughs> they're kicking back. Hey, they get P- along, the two of them, just fine. And, and it gives Pitch time to come up with diabolical Batman boxes for all the other team members. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is something that true. they came up in the comics first before it happens where she had set up something to neutralize Shiro's arm uh, if she had to. Right. Any other uh, things that you all want to pull out from seasons five and six for special consideration? Nothing about the seasons themselves, but just as kind of a 50,000 foot view of the show itself. I love that if you stop into a Walmart or a Target or a big box store, you see the first season on DVD, which is something that I'm convinced does drive more people to it because lots of people have Netflix. Not everybody has Netflix. And there are people who will totally find this on physical media for 10 bucks and devour dozens of episodes of it that way, you know, who wouldn't find it the, the one way. Um, I, I love that, you know, there are new iterations of the toys that you see hitting target every now and then. Um, and just as, as a franchise, it is something that has awakened a brand new fandom at conventions like few other intellectual property revivals I've seen where especially young female fans they they are as tightly grasping on this as they do Steven Universe and Adventure oh, yes. Time, um, <laughs> and I I love I love that I love that they have continued to do the thing that they did so well with Avatar: The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra, and welcome in fans that want stuff for their uh, who, who want stuff for them to be fans of, and it just really really embracing them. Uh, I, I love the way that that. The creators, the cast are continuing to interact with the fandom as things are getting crazier and crazier and crazier. <laughs> Shannon, anything else before we talk about the way the season ended? You know what? We haven't said anything at all about Crolia. Crolia is like my my new favorite secondary character. I didn't think anybody could dethrone Matt Holt, but damn, she did. <laughs> 
And yes, that would family, be, that would be Keith's any, any mother. Keith, Keith, Keith gets his mom back, and um, she is a badass in her own right. We get more flashback stuff filling in that backstory between her and Keith's dad, and then Keith himself uh, in the Razor's Edge while they're you know riding on a space well for two years and spending more time together. And Keith gets a wolf; he gets a pet. Uh, yet another female character with a complicated backstory. I mean, it's not just about love. It's also about duty and it's about what can I do that will answer these conflicting needs best. And it worked very well for me. I love her. Wait, wait, Shannon, wait, wait a minute. You're telling me that you love a badass mom character in a cartoon? (laughs) I'm shocked. I couldn't have Uh seen this coming. Well, if, if if Shannon loves her precious son Keith, I guess that means that Shannon loves somebody else who loves her precious son Keith. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anything else before we go to the end of this episode, of the season, which made my heart kind of sing? Yeah, let's do it. Let's 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 get so. What, does that does that does that include does that include how? On, on the one hand, I was thrilled by the fact that early on, I thought, you know, those three ships, I bet they could I bet they could form a Voltron like thing. Early on, I was like, this is interesting. He's making some some strangely mm-hmm. shaped ships that are strangely flexible are and mobile. Nah, and, they, yeah. Yeah. I thought, yeah, they'll get around to that. And then I <laughs> forgot about that. Mm-hmm. I completely forgot. And then things get real. And then I went, oh, no. Oh no, what will they do? I forgot that this was probably going to happen. Oh no, it's happening. Yeah, I did the same it. thing. I was like, well, that ship sure looks like a pair of arms. Oh well. Exactly. So, so. But then the one ship that is crushing everybody to lose. Ha ha ha. Yeah. Yeah. Castle. Oh yeah. My God. And so, uh, so I want I, I do, and that's where I want to uh, wind this up. Where the season wound up with talking about the um, the end. Two thirds of this last episode is knockdown, drag out fight between uh, two kaiju, and then the aftermath of the battle means that the entire universe is about to be destroyed. And to do that, they have to sacrifice the Castle of Lions ship, and that was actually extremely moving. Even though it was just a set, essentially for this thing, it is their home, and they take the time to make that decision to make it actually meaningful and not not entirely sentimental but sad uh mm-hmm. watching watching these characters uh lose something that has been important to them all right everybody clean out mm-hmm. clean out your bunks right yeah. yeah i thought it was i thought it was so great because you know the castle ship it, it is their home and it is their means of travel but you also see in several of the fight sequences that it's incredibly uh useful to have around right. like it's it is it's been a great is, macguffin yeah. yeah, it's the, it's the backup that, you know, that Voltron needs every once in a while. It can show up and it can, you know, it's got really great weaponry and it can draw, you know, the the forces to it and stuff like that to kind of distract while Voltron regroups and 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 it gives Koran like you see Koran, he's a silly man, but he's also a really good tactical general. And so like 
did being like he doesn't have a ship anymore he doesn't have a thing that he can command uh and that was you know oh god he's going to be moping around all next season in that uh bad no he's too plucky for that i'd say he's too plucky for that but um (laughs) i mean he's got a new altan to talk to that'll be a distraction absolutely ramel everybody um Mm -hmm. but yeah so so now you just have these lions that have nowhere to go and they're just sort of adrift and and you have the characters are adrift um but with a brand new mission i thought that was a really cool thing it's like we are down but not out um Mm -hmm. and i thought you know that's that's them as a group all over i thought that was perfect and having been reminded that earth is a thing and then they send uh pidge and matt's dad back off to earth to help prepare for the galra uh, so I swiftly forget about that, just like uh, most of us <laughs> forgot that the ships kind of looked, the Syncline ships looked kind of like they could turn into a robot. We forget that Earth's a thing until Pidge says, you know, we can we can we can build another Castle of Lions. The plans are back on Earth. And Keith says, we're going home. And could I have thought of any better way to end this season with the than with those three words? Yeah, I I can't imagine. I think the whole show has been ever since they left in the very first episode and went into the far depths of space. The the show needed to be about them returning home and kind of defending not only the the universe, but their own planet, which sort of as happens in a lot of sci fi. Earth is the kind of backwoods sort of Mm -hmm. undefended area um, and sort of can be uninteresting because you know to people because it's like oh it's just where i live it's fine and then i think this show has really found an interesting way to to make us care about the earth in in that way where it's like yeah they're gonna go and defend the earth because why wouldn't the garo want to come and take that over it's part of the universe so of course they would mm-hmm. um and chip can i tempt fate <laughs> you certainly may I honestly, for for a while, I thought, you know, the refugee ships that were kind of part of a, a, a little fleet and everything, I thought that was how we were going to maybe get our way to vehicle force. They're absolutely going there. It's a matter of when and how. I feel like the return to Earth, while while they're busy building a new castle, I feel like I feel like the rise of of a of another defense fleet that will end up turning into the vehicle and they've force. Added, they've added some um, characters. I feel, I feel like they, that, that is a distinct we, we, possibility. We've almost got a second team, yeah. you know, if they pick Matt up on their way and yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I feel like I'm so close to it that I now dare not hope. Uh, for, you can for, hope, just for, don't expect. Well, there's that for any, for anyone who's new listening to the incomparable of Ultron recaps. Uh, I have been beating the drum as one of the few people in the world who liked vehicle Voltron in the eighties, um, which was the portion of the Voltron show that was taken from armored fleet die rugger, a completely different series. And I've been joking, and Moises has been prodding me along all, all, all the way. Uh, but with them returning to Earth and the whole point of the Galra fight coming to them and uh, Commander Holt having taken technology back there, I think it's within the realm of possibility. I also would not at all be surprised, I am sorry to say, that it might well just be an Easter egg cameo or it might be something that's built and survives for one and a half episodes and then gets blown away because this show is about the show. This show is dude, about there's, the dude that the, is made of five lines. At, at, at this point, mm, <laughs> they're not going to say no to that merch money. 
And, and that is merch money and they're making merch money, man. Like there is a fandom behind this thing and that is a toy that they can make. And I, I'm I would honestly, like, the, the, the thing I'm that I'm looking close. forward to like, the most, he, he, you're, you're trying to soften the you're blow. Too close you're too to, to it. It's true. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> but if there is anything about the end of this show that I'm looking forward to, it is the postmortem where we get to find out if, if this doesn't end up happening at what point in the development process, they say, okay, tell you what. We're we're so serious about this. We're going to find a way to make vehicle Voltron possible and not uh, seem like just a jokey one off laughable, you know, reference. Uh, We are going to merchandise the crap out of this for you, sirs (laughs) at DreamWorks. I so relish the the postmortem for this whole series and how the sausage got made uh, because, oh, my God, it is delectable (laughs) and heavenly. Yeah. And and it'd be a great way to, you know, as Avatar had its follow up in Korra, like you can have a follow up series like I, I I see no reason why they can't do that. I doubt it'll be the same people. I feel like they've told their story, but I no. feel like there's got to be writers on the show who could, you know, become the executive producers or, or directors or whatever uh, to want to be executive producers who could continue it that way. I feel like with the Netflix kind of model, there's a built-in audience and people who are already excited who love Voltron, it's become such a huge, you know, show for a lot of people continuing it or doing a different version of it. I think there's no reason that it wouldn't happen. Yeah, it just depends on So their chip. Yeah. <laughs> It just depends on just for you. It, it it depends on where the money is and how and, and what the sweet spot is. Beyond which point, not every uh, Netflix series that's been launched has made it all the way. I'll pour one out for uh, my beloved Sense Eight. <sighs> Voltron has clearly been a success. There's been a fair bit of merchandise out there, although not everything. Uh, you know, they they seem to pull back on some of the action figures and some of the other things um mm-hmm. i'd i'd like yeah. to believe that there's a place for a new 15 vehicle toy there but i'm content to wait and see yeah, yeah um any know. other hope, hope hope shines a turtle <laughs> shine on you crazy you, you you crazy castle of lions compressed diamond is that what you're saying yes <laughs> well i mean that's going to be like the initial energy source for whatever it is they do <laughs> Maybe, maybe. Uh, Any final thoughts about Voltron Legendary Defender, where it is right now, and what we might see out of the coming seasons? Uh, I don't know how many more seasons it's got in it. How many? I don't know about seasons, uh, but 26 more episodes. However, they divvy them up. And I think that they've kind of, it has appeared from social media that the actors and that the cast and stuff like that, uh, that a lot of the non-animation, non-production work appears to have been wrapped. I think even animation's wrapped. I, yeah, I, I, we keep seeing like, you know, social media showing parties where, you know, like the animators are done and they're celebrating or the CGI team is done and celebrating. So, yeah, I, I think they're all in the can. It just depends on when they're yeah, going to release it. I can't, I can't say which actor uh, from the show I recently interacted with. They, they recorded like, all yeah, the vocals a year, a year or two ages ago. ago. Yeah. It's all been done. They, mm-hmm. they, they've completely finished the series. Yeah. Did you ask them about Sad. Vehicle Voltron? <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. I'm fine. I'm, I'm done. Are you I'm done? done. I've got, it's out of my system now, guys. Uh, at at Boston, at Boston, <laughs> at Boston, I will ask this individual. I will ask them at Boston, and and I think my rapport with them is such that uh, that, that they might actually tell me. Uh, Kyle, you're going to be seeing cast and crew of Voltron Legendary Defender very, very soon now as we record this. That's true. Yes, um, I will be hosting the uh, Voltron Legendary Defender panel uh, at San Diego Comic Con 
So it'll be the Friday at 10.15 a.m. in room 6 BCF. And we are going to show the first episode of the second, seventh season. Uh, so I don't know if you're going to be if you're listening to this and are going to be there and have nothing to do Friday morning. You should come to this panel. <laughs> Panelists, I, uh, before the weekend totally destroys you. Well, six yeah. BCF is a pretty big room. So you actually yeah, stand totally. a pretty decent and, chance um, of getting I in. I think, yeah, I would imagine it'll be pretty full just because it's going to show the, the premiere of the next mm-hmm. season. And there will be all sorts of uh, yeah. people. On that. I think uh, Joaquin, uh, Lauren Montgomery, Josh Hamilton, who's one of the writers, Bex Taylor-Klaus, uh, Reese Darby is going to be there. That's going to be super wow. cool and weird. Yeah. And oh, that's um, amazing. I think that's it. Is Shade, I think Shade is not that, doing yeah, you know anything. Shit is going to be there. Yeah, you're right. So, yeah, so that's yeah. going to be a really fun panel that lots of questions about season six and season seven. So uh, and there will be a lot of news, I would imagine, coming out of that because I'm not entirely sure what they're going to say yet. But um, mm-hmm. I would imagine that there's going to be some announcements of some perfect sort, opportunity but. to do so. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I think, you know, not just blowing smoke like I thought. I think season six really was an amazing seven mm-hmm. episodes. Uh, it ended in such a strong, fantastic way that if I had some sort of trepidations or if I was like, eh, I'm not really into this as much anymore, it's still it's a great show. But like, you know, season five was kind of, you know, uh, didn't grab me the way that some of the other things did. I was like, what a fool I am. Like, <laughs> wait until you see the next bit. And yeah, season six is maybe my favorite thus far. I would go so far as to say that if it had been canceled for any reason after this season, I would have been ex- completely satisfied we're going if home I could, if it, i couldn't have it all i'm glad i, had I, this I would not yeah. have i i would not have <laughs> yeah i'll put it this way especially you know things that i've heard in the back channel effectively since the first season there has been no chance the entire run of this show was going to mm-hmm. get canned the train was out of the station they were going to get all the way to the end of what they have finished production on no matter what yeah. Which I think is really cool. I think that's really great they, that a, they, they a, were, an animated series like that can can be like, yeah. we want to have our episodes and we and to tell our story and then we'll be done. Um, mm-hmm. That seems like such a they, they, they were they were effectively like put put on the kind of, well, let's see how season one goes. And then once season one was out there and doing incredibly well, they just ordered the whole rest of it. They just said, OK, we're buying God the whole rest Netflix of the room. money. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Occasionally. yeah. Occasionally. This was a good decision. Occasionally. Yes. Yeah. And I am looking forward to season seven, whenever that may be. Uh, hopefully, we'll hear something about that uh, at San Diego Comic Con that you'll drag it out of them kicking and screaming, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'm going to have to do a lot of prodding. <laughs> Uh, it has been a pleasure talking about Voltron Legendary Defender with the three of you. Uh, Moises, thank you so much. It's um, It's been another great two and a half hour installment in the Voltron Connected Universe. Kyle, thank you so much. Absolutely. Happy to do it anytime. And Shannon, I'll uh, see you soon, I guess. <laughs> yes, I'm extremely happy to talk about Voltron anytime, anyplace. All right, so we will uh, we will come back to Voltron Legendary Defender uh, when the next season drops, and after the next season drops, and until then, vrep it saw, vrep it saw. <laughs> Man, it's so so weird to say that.